Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. One, and we are starting a, a brand new series uh, looking at second chances. And uh, how many of you remember on the playground, uh, you remember that one kid that you would play with and when it was recess and perhaps uh, it was playing kickball or something and you have that one kid that he missed the ball every time and he would say this, do over, do over. How many remember somebody like that? Hey, me had had somebody, the do-over kid or the redo kid. Uh, they came up with excuses. Well, the sun was in my eyes, or I tripped, or I, I didn't. I didn't know we were ready. I didn't know we were playing the game. I didn't know it actually started. Uh, we all know, and we could all think about the do-over kid, the redo kid. And you know what? Truth be told, we probably we probably have all been there. We've all been playing a game. That's why when, when they first came out with uh, the uh, the the Nintendo, the regular Nintendo. I remember when that came out, and I remember the reset button. I loved the reset button because I would play Duck Hunt, and if I didn't get a perfect score on Duck Hunt, I would press the reset button. Uh, You get another go around. You get another chance. And the truth is that in life, uh, in life, we all need do-overs. In life, we all need restarts. In life, we all need another chance. And this morning, we're going to start a conversation that we're going to be in over the course of the next, uh, the next couple of months here on Sunday mornings, understanding that we serve a God who is all about do-overs. We serve a God who is all about second chances. Now, I will say this at the, at the forefront of this series, that when it comes to time, and we know this, when it comes to time, we don't get a second chance on time. Do we know that today? I mean, today, uh, January 8th, 2023, this day is not going to come again. We know that. We don't get a do-over on our days. We don't get a do-over on our time. But I will say that often, and we need to see this, and we're going to see it in Scripture, that we serve a God that while he doesn't give us a do-over on time, he does give us at times a do-over on decisions. And there are times and choices in our life when we know there is a choice that we should make. We know that there's a choice that God wants us to make and we say no. If we're all honest today, every single one of us, we have times in our life when we say no to God. God says, I want you to talk to that person. I want you to be a witness. I want you to to be faithful here. I want you to give here. I want you to to do this, whatever this is. God has times in our life when God gives us uh, a hard request. He gives us a question. He gives us uh, a request of something that he wants us to do. And yet many times, if you're like me, you find yourself saying no. Well, I'm glad today that we serve a God that even the times that I say no to him, he doesn't go, all right, I'm done. I'm done with you. No, we serve a God who gives us second chances. As we start this morning, I want to ask you, if you have ever been asked to do something, you've been asked to do something that you knew was right, 
but you also knew it was going to be extremely difficult or challenging to you to accomplish. I'm not talking about challenging physically. I'm talking more along the lines of mentally or emotionally. Like this. How many of you grew up with siblings? You grew up with siblings. Okay, you ready? Here's a hard decision. Here's a hard request that you knew was right, but I guarantee you, you didn't want to do it. It's when your mom and dad said, you need to look your sibling in the eye and tell them you're sorry. Every single sibling has had to do that. You need to look your sister in the eye, your brother in the eye, and you need to tell them you are sorry. One of the times that I remember growing up that I was requested to do that, really uh, it was my parents telling me to do it, you, are go- you need to do this, was when I was super mad at my sister. I've told the story before. We were playing tag. She was 14. I was six. We were playing tag in our church uh, parking lot area. And I remember that my parents said, all right, time to go. And I didn't want to go. But Dina, the one, this was the one time she obeyed mom and dad. The one, it only happened once. This was it. And she got to the car and she said, Dennis, come on, let's go. And I was standing at the car and I said, I don't want to go. And she said, mom and dad said, let's go. And I got mad and I slammed the door on her leg. Her leg was outside the door. I don't want to go. Wham. And she, Dennis, I can't believe you did that. And of course, of course, right then is when mom walked out the door. And she saw me slam the door on my sister's leg and it was a, it was a request from my parents of, Dennis, you're in trouble, but Dennis, you need to tell your sister you're sorry. You know, look at her and tell her you're sorry. And you've been there. What do you do? Sorry. What was that? Sorry. No, you need to look her in the eye and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry. Hey, you know what? For a six-year-old for a 10-year-old, for a 15-year-old, for a 45-year-old, for an 85-year-old, whatever your age is, every one of us have times in our life when we are given a hard request. We know it's right. We know it's something we should do. But there's part of us that just says no. This morning, I wanna ask you, What do you do when God makes a hard request in your life? Because God is going to bring into your life hard requests, decisions that you and I know we need to accomplish or a task that we know God wants us to do. When God does that, when God gives you a hard ask, when God gives you a hard request, what do you do? What is your response when God brings that hard question into your life The fact of the matter is that God asks every single one of us some hard requests. He asks us for some steps of faith or steps of obedience or steps of submission. They are steps that require us to surrender. They require us to really to test our love and our trust in God. When God does that, when God makes those hard requests, what is our response? And this morning and for the next few weeks, we're going to look in the life of Jonah and we're going to see his response when God gave him a hard request. And we're going we're gonna to see this morning that it was the wrong response. But we're going to see how God can use even the wrong response for his glory. So let's stand together. Jonah chapter number one. Jonah chapter number one, and we are going to begin reading in verse number one of Jonah chapter one. Jonah chapter one and verse number one, the word of God says this. Now the word of the Lord 
came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, he rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it to go, into, or, uh, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. This morning, we ask ourselves the question, what do we do when God gives us the hard request? And we're going to learn a lesson from what Jonah did in his life that I believe will be a help to us in knowing how we should respond when God gives us a hard request. So let's pray and uh, ask the Lord to bless our time today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take a minute and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you pray and would you ask God, God, would you please speak to me today? God, please speak to me today. And then make a commitment. God, if you speak to me, I'm gonna listen to you. I'm gonna make a decision based upon how you speak to me. Dear Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your love and thank you for your care. Thank you, God, for the opportunity we have to be in your house this morning and Lord, thank you for these that have come out to this, uh, this new service, 830 service, Lord. We pray that it would be uh, something that you would use to grow us and to grow our church. And Lord, I pray that as we get into your word right now, that you would help us to hear from you, that you would help us to know uh, what you want us to, uh, to do, what you want us to decide for this week. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us, uh, give us your mind, your heart, and your um, your words right now. I surrender myself to you, Lord. I pray that you'd help speak to us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As our story opens up, we find Jonah at a place where God gave him a hard request, and uh, it was one of those things that Jonah, he did not want to obey. We're going to see in a couple of weeks why Jonah didn't want to obey God but really, Jonah was going to do, and, and many of us know the story of Jonah, even those who perhaps have not been raised in church or around church have heard the story of Jonah and, the, and the, Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish. But Jonah was going to do everything he could to get away from doing what God had asked him to do. Now, the truth is, this is something that you would not expect of Jonah. Well, pastor, how would we not expect that of Jonah? Because Jonah, at the time of this writing, Jonah would have been a prophet for the children of Israel for a, long, a number of years, and, and he would have been a good prophet. As a matter of fact, we know that Jonah lived at a time when the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of, of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Jonah, he lived near Nazareth, where Jesus would be raised, and he ministered at the same time as Hosea and Amos, two other minor prophets. But here's the difference between Amos, Hosea, and Jonah. Amos and Hosea, if you go and you read their books, if you go and you read their prophecies, Amos and Hosea, they were giving bad news to the children of Israel. Their prophecies were prophecies of uh, judgment. And their news, the prophecies that Amos and Hosea gave was not well received. But you can find Jonah's Prophecy for the children of Israel in 2 Kings in chapter number 14. 
During the reign of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, God said through Jonah, even though the children of Israel were doing their own thing, even though the children of Israel were rebelling against God, God said through Jonah to the people of Israel, I will still bless you. Even though you are rebelling against me, even though you are turning your back against me, there will come a time when I will bless you. At this time, things were very bad for Israel. It, it, in their mind, they could have been overrun by the Assyrians at any time. But in spite of their disobedience, in spite of their rebellion, God said, I will not quit on you. Things are going to be fine. Just determine to follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if I'm hearing people speak, I hear Amos speak and Amos says, God's going to judge you. And Hosea said, God's going to judge you. And then there's somebody else that gets up and says, judgment is coming, but God loves you and God has purpose in the judgment and God is going to work. I don't know about you, but the person that I'm probably going to receive well is the person who's speaking words of kindness, the person who's going to speak words of hope. And that's exactly who Jonah was for the people of Israel. And so here's this prophet that you would expect when God came to him and said, hey, I have a task for you. You would expect Jonah to say, okay. Well, what's the task, Jonah? Well, the task is that Jonah is supposed to go to Nineveh. Nineveh, a great city of the Assyrians, a city that is 90 meters, or excuse me, 90 miles in diameter. The, the walls around the city are 100 feet high, 50 feet wide. And many believe that Nineveh at that time was one of the, if not the largest city, one of the largest cities in the known world, a population of over 600,000. And, and God says to Jonah, go cry against them. Hey, Jonah, now you have to bring the, the prophecy of judgment. Jonah, now you have to bring the message of judgment to the people of Nineveh, to the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians, they were a wicked people. The Assyrians were a, a, a ruthless people. As a matter of fact, um, some historians have found that the Assyrians, when they would conquer a city, they would actually come in and <clears throat> they would kill everybody behead everybody, and then stack their heads by the city gate as if to say, the Assyrians have been here. They were a disgusting people, a ruthless, brutal people. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to tell them their wickedness has come before me and I'm going to destroy them. And Jonah, he says, no. No, God, I'm not gonna do that. I don't wanna do it your way. I don't want to make the decision. I don't want to answer the hard request that you've given me. God, somebody else can do it, not me. Well, notice what happens. The Bible, the story continues after Jonah says no. It says that Jonah, he's on that boat heading towards Tarshish. And say that word 10 times fast. That's all I want to say. But the Lord sent out a great wind, verse 4, into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah, he was gone down into the sides of the ship. He went as far as low as he could go, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? 
Arise, call unto thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, every one to his fellow, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation and whence comest thou and what, country, what is thy country and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am in Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. As we look at Jonah fleeing God and we look at Jonah running and saying no to God, The question comes to us today when God asks us hard questions, when God asks us to take steps of faith, when God asks us to obey and to follow him, perhaps in a way that that we don't want to follow. I have a few questions for you as to what happens when you and I say no to those hard requests. When we say no to the hard questions from God, to the hard requests from God, my first question to you is where do you hide? Where do you hide when you say no to God? Where, where do you hide? In our passage this morning, we find Jonah running from the presence of the Lord. He travels from his home near Jerusalem, and he travels to Joppa. If you were to go and look at a map, you can see, I know it's uh, uh, kind of hard to see, but uh, Gath Hefer, which would be right by Jerusalem, Uh, From there to Nineveh, we'll see in just a minute, it's about 500 miles. But instead, Jonah travels south to Joppa or to Jaffa. Joppa or Jaffa would be a a, uh, um, uh, a maritime city. It would be a sailing city. It would be one right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, Jaffa is. And Jonah, he goes here and what does he do? He gets on a ship and he heads towards Tarshish. Now, you and I, we... We're not from over there. We may not know this, but Tarshish is over 2,500 miles from Jaffa. Well, he gets in this ship, and where does he go? He goes to the very belly of the ship. It's as if to say he's trying to get as far away from the place where God spoke to him. He's trying to get as far away from God as he possibly can. He's trying to hide from God, hide from the presence of the Lord. Now, you and I know, of course, that hiding from God is futile. It's pointless. But people have been trying to do it for generations. As a matter of fact, Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden is where it started. Adam and Eve, they had sinned. They have partaken of the fruit that they should not have. And the Lord comes out and speaks. And it says, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden trying to hide from the presence of the Lord, their son would continue it in Genesis chapter number four when Cain goes out from the presence of the Lord. And we we read throughout scripture time and time and time again when people try to hide from the presence of the Lord. And yet God said this through Jeremiah, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. 
The psalmist wrote it this way in Psalm 139, verse number seven, uh, kind of laying out a hypothetical thing of uh, a hypothetical story of here. If I'm going to go to any of these places, the, the psalmist wrote, whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? And then he continues, if I were to make my bed in the sea, you will find me. If I were to go to the depths, you would find me. If I would even to be in hell, you would find me. Hey, you can't hide from the presence of God. And yet, Jonah attempted to run. He attempted to hide from God. We would no doubt look at this and we would say, Jonah, come on, man. You can't hide from God. But I want to ask you, Jonah, he tried to hide in the belly of a boat. Where do you try to hide? Where do you and I hide when God asks a hard question, when God gives a hard request? We probably don't try to hide in the bottom of a boat, but I will say that we try to bury ourselves and hide ourselves from the voice of God more often than we think. I believe today there's a lot of Christians, they try to hide themselves from God in their busy schedule. I'm too busy for God. I've got too much going on for God. Try to hide ourselves in a hobby. We try to hide ourselves in our work and our work pace. We try to hide ourselves in family. We try to hide ourselves in entertainment. We try to hide ourselves in finances or prosperity. We try to hide ourselves in our excuses. The fact of the matter is that sometimes what we do, we may not physically run as Jonah did, but we spiritually and mentally and emotionally run. And instead of trying to bury ourselves in the bottom of a boat, we just simply try to drown out the voice of God by allowing everything else to speak louder because we think that if I get busy and if I can just be a, a occupying time, if I can, if I can just get, make a little more money, I'll find that peace in my life. If I can just do a little bit more, I will find that solace in our life. And yet the whole time God is knocking on our heart, the whole time God is pursuing us, the whole time God is saying, hey, you know that following me and living a life of faith and being a giver and being somebody who's on board with witnessing and being somebody who's a, caring about your testimony, God, the whole time is knocking on on the doors of our life, and yet what we do all too often is we run and we hide. Where do you hide when God makes a hard request in your life? Where do you hide? Second question I would ask you today, when God makes a hard request in your life and you say no, not only where do you hide, but what do you pay? What do you pay? What does it cost you and I to say no to God? As Jonah flees, we know that he paid a price Financially, he paid a price to run from God. What was his price? Well, we, when he travels to Jaffa from Gath Hefer, we know that that would cost. But then he buys a ticket to a destination that was 2,500 miles away. That type of travel on a, on a ship that Jonah would get on, it would not be easy. It would not be cheap. And Jonah, no doubt, paid a price to run from God. He paid a, a financial price in the cost of the ticket and the cost of his travels. But I think he paid a price in time. A lot of time wasted. I said a minute ago that Joppa, 550 miles from Gath Hefer, Jaffa area to Nineveh, and over 2,500 miles was Tarshish from Jaffa. 
What is that? That's five times the distance. I don't know uh, if you're this way, but I, I don't mind traveling, but I prefer shorter trips than longer trips. I tell people when we do our Israel trips uh, that the Israel trip, the worst part of it is the flight over, the, the time over and the time back. Because it just, we're on the West Coast, it takes forever. You know, I got to fly east. We'll be going to Israel. I'm taking a group uh, in a few weeks there again. And uh, man, our flight's going. We fly from here to, uh, I think here to Denver, Denver to Toronto, Toronto to Tel Aviv. And then back, we go to San Francisco and I have a five-hour layover. And man, you talk, there's, it's going to be 21 hours going and 24 hours coming back. That does not sound fun to me. It, does, it doesn't. I, I try to think of how much work could I build up so that I could keep myself busy. But then when you just get on that plane and like that one trip we told you about from our last trip when a baby cried for 11 hours. I mean, it was, it, and I'm not exaggerating, it was miserable. I would rather get on a plane and I love, I love the two and a half hour flight from, San Diego, from uh, Spokane Airport to San Diego. I love that. I would do that flight anytime. Why? One leg, we're not stopping. I don't have to get off. I don't have to go up and down. It is one trip. Just make that once and we'll be done. I don't know if someone were to say, hey, listen, you can travel from here to San Diego that two and a half hours or, or you could fly all the way around the world and back and then to San Diego. Hey, the logic says, I'm just going to take the short route. <laughs> you know what Jonah was doing? Jonah was saying no to God, and it cost him some finances. It cost him some time. It wasted, it wasted part of his life. It wasted part of the time that he could have been affected being used for God. It, it wasted things. But I want you to notice what Jonah was willing to pay. Notice what Jonah was willing to pay. In our story, if you were to go to verse number 11, and we'll see this next week. Verse number 11, it says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? And verse 12, what does he say? Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. Wait, wait, Jonah, you're willing to die before you obey God? That's what Jonah is willing to do. You see, we read the story and we know that God had prepared a giant fish or a whale to swallow Jonah up, but Jonah did not know that. No, Jonah says, hey, you might as well kill me before I say yes to God. Man, I, had, I would rather die than follow God. What a statement. And can I say it today? What a sad statement. I would rather die than make the hard decision. I would rather die than take the step of faith. I would rather die than go to Nineveh. You know, Jonah was willing to pay his life to resist God. He was willing to throw his life away. Listen, Jonah was willing to throw his life away before he said yes to God. And can I say this morning that when you and I fail to surrender to God, that's exactly what we do. We throw our life away. We never really know the price that we pay when we say no to God. 
Sometimes that price is money. Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it's influence. Sometimes it's opportunity. Sometimes it's outreach. We don't know what the price is. But the fact of the matter is, and we will see this next week, that when we say no to God, it not only impacts us, but it impacts the people around us. And we never know the true price we pay when we say no. Can I say this this morning, that when you and I say no to God, while God does give second chances, we never know what we miss out on if we would have just said yes the first time. We never know what we would have missed out on had we just submitted the first time. Here's Jonah willing to lose his life and yet he just says no. Man, what a, what a crazy thought this morning. When we say no to God, what are questions this morning? When we say no to God, where do we hide? What do you pay? Secondly, or thirdly today and is this thought. When we say no to God, what do others see? What do other people see when you and I say no to God? Notice our story, we discover that what others saw in Jonah. Here's Jonah, a prophet of God, and during this whole ordeal, he tells them that he is a prophet of God, that he is a servant of God. And in verse number 10, if you look, the men, they were exceedingly afraid, and, and they said unto him, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them they knew that he was running from God. They knew what God was asking him to do. Uh, they knew, and yet here they are saying, why are you doing this? What are you thinking? In verse number six, the captain, uh, the shipmaster, the captain of the ship, he comes to Jonah and he asks Jonah, hey, why sleepest thou? Why sleepest thou? Get up and pray to your God. Do you know what they saw in Jonah? Man, they saw someone who was willing to die. They saw someone, the, the phrase, why sleepest thou? It's, Jonah, don't you even care? Why don't you care about us? Hey, why have you done this? Why have you fled? Why have you ran? What are you thinking? You see, the response that Jonah conveyed to those around him was that he was careless, that he was reckless, that he was heartless. And you would definitely not expect this from the supposed man of God. You would not expect this from a prophet. You would not expect this from somebody who was following God. And yet people on the outside, they look at him and they saw someone who was miserable. They saw someone who was careless. They saw someone who in that moment, listen, in that moment, what people saw was a hypocrite. I was speaking with some folks this week and someone said to me, they said to me basically the, the line of why, why should a person believe in God when hypocrites say they believe in God, but their life doesn't match it. It was said in a different way, but that's basically what they were saying. Why should people come to know Christ when those who claim Christ don't live like they claim Christ? They don't live like they follow him. You know what? When we, when we say no to God, people on the outside, they can look and they can see someone is miserable. People look and they can see here's someone who was once a successful moving forward Christian. Now they're struggling. I wonder why. 
I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder what they're doing. Now, they may not know everything that's going on internally in our heart, but listen, other people, when they look into our lives, when we say no, I wonder if they see a hypocrite just like those saw in Jonah. We ask the questions today when God makes a hard request and we say no, where do we hide? What do we pay? And what do others see? But lastly today and before we go, I want to ask the question, what can we learn? Hey, what can we learn in this story of Jonah? In this beginning few verses of the book of Jonah, of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? And so for it's easy, it's easy for us to look at this and to say what Jonah should have done. He never should have said no. He should have just simply said yes. He should have not wasted time. He should have gotten on, he should have not gotten on a ship ever. And we know the story. We know that the story of Jonah is a book. It's a story. It's a letter about second chances. That God is a God of second chances. But just because God is a second chances doesn't mean that I should say no so that I can get a second chance. Instead, I should take God up on the first chance. Obey God the first time. Here's a few quick thoughts of some things we can learn from our story as we start in the book of Jonah. Number one, success doesn't mean spiritual. Success doesn't mean spiritual. Pastor, what do you mean? Jonah was a successful prophet. Jonah was one that no doubt was well-received. Jonah was one that had heard God and had obeyed God. But just because Jonah was a successful prophet, at this point in life, at this point in his life, it didn't equal spirituality. And the fact is that outward success does not determine spirituality. Just because there's successful ministry doesn't mean there's successful spirituality. Just because on the outside, you may be appearing to be close to God, it doesn't mean that the inside is. That is a heart work for us to pursue God. Number two, past obediences and victories or past obedience and victories don't justify current disobedience and running. You know what Jonah had done? Jonah had said yes to God before. He had spoken this prophecy that you read about in 2 Kings chapter 14. And Jonah was the one to give this prophecy. And so no doubt Jonah could say, well, God, I said yes to you then. I said yes back then. So God, no, I don't want to do that right now. And, and in his mind, perhaps Jonah could be justifying his disobedience and his running. And I think in my life, there are times When God says, Dennis, I want you to do this, and I know God is speaking to me, and I say, well, God, I've done that before. Well, God, I've I've talked to them about you before. God, I've given that before. God, I've, I've taken that faith step before. God, I've attempted that before. And we justify current disobedience by bringing up past obedience. And the truth is that past obedience and past victories, they do not justify current disobedience and running. Nothing justifies us running from God. Number three, number three, the real decision is not obedience, but instead it is a decision of surrender and submission. Here's what I mean by this. When you obey God because it's easy and looks good to you, is that really obedience? 
You see, real victory in the Christian life is when you and I surrender to God, and that means we obey even when it doesn't appeal. You see, it's easy to follow God when everybody else is following God around you, but when you are the only one to follow God or called to follow God, and it's not easy, are you going to? It's easy to be faithful when you have a bunch of faithful people around you, but it's not easy to be faithful when it's just you. That's not appealing to be alone. It's easy to speak up for God when there's three or four or five or six voices echoing what you are saying, but it's not easy to speak up for God and God says, hey, I want you to talk to that person. It's not easy when it's a one-on-one. It's not easy when it's just you. You see, it's easy to give when everybody gives, easy to witness when everybody witnesses, easy to pray when everybody prays. It's easy to stand for truth when everybody's standing for truth. But the fact of the matter is our faith is not going to be, uh, um, it's, it's not going to be on the gauge of, man, I can't even think of the right word. You're the, the stability of your faith, the foundation of your faith, that's going to be shaken when it's just you. It's not going to be shaken when everybody else is there. It's going to be shaken when it's just you. And so the times that we say yes to God, are those the times that when when God asks us to do something that everybody else is doing? Or are they the times when God says, hey, you might be the only one? Are we still willing to say yes? The real decision is not about obedience. It's about a heart of surrender. You see, even Jesus had this, didn't he? Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? It was Jesus who prayed these words. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. You know, when we say no against God, when we say no against God because what God is asking us to do doesn't coincide with our will, That's a matter of surrender. Are you really surrendered to God? The real decision is not obedience, but instead a decision of surrender and submission. And lastly today, when we say no to God, it reveals our heart. It reveals our heart. You know, sin is always relational. And when we say no to God, it reveals a relationship struggle between us and God. It reveals that we are being led by selfishness and pride It reveals that we are having a a high hand against God, a, a I can do this, I don't need you attitude against God. The psalmist called these presumptuous sins in Psalm 19, 13, when he said, keep thy servant also from presumptuous sins, high handed sin, sin that says, God, I've got this. Remember what David said in Psalm 50, 51 and verse number four, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Hey, when we say no to God, It's a relationship struggle between us and God. It's a heart issue between us and God. It's choosing to say no to the one who loves me. And it reveals a heart that is not as close to God as it should be. Here we find Jonah saying no to God. God was saying, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said no. It cost him. It took his time. He tried to hide, but he couldn't. Others from the outward saw saw a hypocrite. Others from the outward were wondering, why are you doing this, Jonah? God was asking him to go to Nineveh. I want to ask you, what is your Nineveh? What are you saying perhaps no to the Lord about? 
What is God saying? Hey, here's a hard request that I'm making in your life. Will you follow me by faith? Where are you hiding? What are you paying? What are others seeing? This morning, I would ask you to to just ask God this week. God, help me not to say no. God, help me to say yes. Because this week, God might ask you a, a hard request. He might give you a hard request. He might ask you to be faithful in an area that that's going to be challenging. He might ask you to get right in an area that you've been holding on to. God might ask you to say or speak to that person, but you just don't want to. He might ask you to be a part even, even of our, our, our building stuff, but man, I just don't know about that. What is it that God is asking you to do, but you've been saying no? Here's a better way to put it. When God's will and your will collide, who wins? Hey, when God's will and your will collide, who wins? Maybe you're here this morning and the area that you've been saying no to God in is the area of salvation. And I would ask, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior? Do you know if you died today that you'd go to heaven? You see, this is one area we never wanna say no to God in. And God speaks to us and says, I want you to receive me. We should have a quick yes. A time in our life when we know we put our faith and our trust in him. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, I hope this morning would be a day that you say, God, yes, I choose you. If you're here and you have trusted Christ as Savior, what's your Nineveh today? What area of life has God been speaking into you? And you've been, you've been saying, no, God, I got this. Maybe today would be the day where you say, you know what, God? I'm done running. God, I surrender. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning as we come, prepare for a time of invitation. We're gonna be invited to respond to the Lord. And if God's spoken to you, I would ask you, would you respond to him?